And I want to welcome you as well to part one of our brand new series called Standing Alone. And so this is kind of a little bit different than what we normally do, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But if you're with us or watching online, go ahead and grab out your Bibles and your message notes. All right, everybody, you're going to get sick of me saying it, and I don't care one little bit. But grab out, we believe in taking notes here at Victory because we believe in jotting some things down that God will speak to you. It doesn't have to be something I said. It might be something God just puts in your mind as you listen to his word. And we jot those things down because then later on in our spiritual journey, we reference those. All right, everybody, I don't care how good your memory is. A short pencil is better than your memory. All right, everybody. So we jot down a few things uh, as we study God's word and we reference those. Whatever it is your choice, if you want to watch the verses on the screen, you want to take the fill in the blank notes on the app. You want to open up your Bible. Come on, they made it in a paperback, everybody. You might have one with you today. Whatever your choice, go ahead and open out to 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to study a little bit out of the book of 1 Kings. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know we love to study the Bible in series. We love to talk around a particular topic or an idea uh, and then bring a series based around that. And then throughout the year, we'll do what we call book studies. And that is we'll walk verse by verse or chapter by chapter uh, through a book of the Bible. Today, we're doing a third option, and that is we're doing a character study. We tried one of these last year. Uh, it went okay. All right, everybody, we'll just be honest. It went, it went all right. But then this year, I want to do a character study on one of the greatest men in the scriptures, one of the greatest men of God. That God used in the Bible. It's honestly one of my favorite characters in the Bible. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And that is the story of Elijah. It's the story of the prophet of God, Elijah, in 1 Kings. And so we're going to look a little bit into his life. We're going to study how God prepared him, how God used him. Because God did a lot of incredible things through Elijah. But he also did a lot of incredible things in Elijah. Did a lot of incredible things preparing him. And so today we're going to kind of look and start his story. Just to give you a little bit of context for the prophet Elijah. When Elijah was born, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, has now been through 19 consecutive evil kings. All right, everybody, let me just pause and let that kind of sink in. It spanned 200 years of evil leadership of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so they've been through this. And so just to put it in perspective, those of you, and you know who you are, who are big fans of the royal family, of the queen, those of you who watch all the weddings and all the dramas, right? And you buy the magazines and you do, you know who you are, right? It's, it's, we're going to have a story on idolatry next week, all right, everybody? <laughs> but, but those of you who watch, you, you know all about the royal family. You can tell me their shoe size and how tall they are and what their favorite food is to eat. You know everything about that. Think about that in your minds, though, whether it's a queen or a king or a president or a prime minister. Think about not just 19 ineffective leaders. Not just 19 kind of fallen over their own feet type of leaders, ineffective, not able to get anything. At 19 consecutive evil kings that have ruled this kingdom. And that's the darkness that Elijah is born into. That's where Elijah now steps into as the prophet of God. In fact, there was a very evil king named Ahab at this time. And he's married to an evil queen named Jezebel. Some say the most wicked woman to ever live. And they're married together. And under their reign, the Bible says that Ahab does more evil in the eyes of God than all of the other evil kings before him. So not only just consecutive evil kings, now we're at the very worst of all of them. And this is the darkness, this is the time of idolatry. Because when these evil kings would turn the nation's heart away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would turn their hearts from the true God and turn them to false gods. So they would turn their hearts to the God of Baal and the God of Asherah, and they would lead them into idolatry. And so the people would sacrifice their children to these gods. And the people would go into the temple with prostitutes and they'd call it worship. And they'd do things that are even too gross to explain. And the kings would lead them in this evil worship. 
And this is the darkness Elijah is born into. And scripture says under Ahab's reign, more evil than any before him. And so we're talking scandals, we're talking idolatry, we're talking evil worship, we're talking all of this in this darkness. This is where Elijah arrives and God finally says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And interestingly though, God doesn't raise up an army to confront Ahab. God does what he often does and he raises up one person to confront the evil in the land. He raises up one person, God uses them. And oftentimes in different situations, God's not raising up an army to confront that. In places that we go, God is raising up one person to send them into the middle of that darkness, to send them with the light that he has. God has his people moving. And so in this story, we're going to study, in the story of Elijah, God raises up Elijah to stand alone and to confront the evil that's in his land. So today we kick off the character story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is in, I just want to kind of... If we're going to title today's message, we're going to title it his preparation. Because God is going to use Elijah to do incredible things, but he has to prepare him first. And so we're going to take a little bit of a study and how God does that. Because it's a little bit different than you might expect for a prophet of God. We'll start with what does the word Elijah mean? What does his name even mean? And so the word Elijah comes from three root words in the Hebrew. It's El, I, and Ja. Come on, we get real deep here at Victory. All right, everybody. And so El in that word, it stands for Elohim or God. The I in that is the possessive. It's the my or mine. And then the Je comes from Jehovah, which is the one true God. And so just by his name alone, his name means my God is Jehovah. That my God is Jehovah. That my God is the one true God. That I serve the one true God. Just by his name alone, God is confronting the idolatry and the evil prophets and the evil that has entered the land of Israel. Just by the name of the prophet alone. So when Elijah arrives on the scene, he's saying the Lord God is the one true God. My God is Jehovah. And you'll see that in just a moment as he faces off with the king. As Elijah stands him down, you'll see how he brings this into play. That his name means my God is the one true God. That Jehovah is the only true God. We'll pick up the story in verse 1. The first time we see Elijah in all of scripture, 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. At the very beginning of the story, we have barely any background on the prophet. All we know is where he is from. And so the way the Bible introduces him is about where he is from, right? Ben Workman is from Louisiana. And so they introduce Elijah the prophet, the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead. We know who he's from. This is going to change in just a little while, so stay tuned. Said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. So you can tell from the get-go, he's already pointing out the false prophets and Ahab's false gods that he's been serving. He says, the Lord who I serve, I don't know who you serve, Ahab, but the one I serve, there will be... Neither do nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, if this were a movie, the music would just go bum bum, right? This would be the moment where something incredible has happened. You can tell something has changed, some prophetic. Because this is an incredibly strategic prophetic utterance against the land. Like if there were an utterance you could come up with that would basically hurt the kingdom of Israel, that would be speak more doom than anything else, it would be this. Because you hear a lot of talk nowadays about economic slowdown and how there's this slowdown in a different market or in that market. How there's, this is economic shutdown, all right, everybody? Because in an agriculturally driven society, no rain and no dew means everything shuts down. That the crops dry up, that people start to starve, that there is this cultural upheaval. And so Elijah makes this incredible statement of faith to do this. And he says, no rain and no dew until I give the word. This is the God that I serve. This is what's going to happen, King Ahab. And so in my mind, I'm reading verse 1 and I'm thinking, okay, now it's like, oh baby, this is about to happen. Like this is, the fight is about to be on. The man of God is standing down the king. Like, let's see him fight. 
Like, this is going to be incredible. Like, let's rumble, all right? You're excited to get to verse 2 because you want to see how Elijah's going to handle things, how Elijah's going to make everything. But instead, God does something a little bit different that if we were writing the story, we probably would not do. Because we've, we've had this, right, we've got to climb the hill. We've had this first encounter, and now Elijah's got to back it up, and there's got to be a rumble. But there's not. And so in verse 2, what happens is God does something a little different. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. And we're going to watch over this next season what God does in the life of Elijah. Because one verse, he appears. One verse, he makes this utterance. One verse, he calls out the kingdom. He calls everything down. It's this royal rumble time. One verse, and then he's gone. He's gone. And so God takes Elijah away so that he can do something in Elijah. And you ask, well, why? Why would God take? Because God has more for Elijah, you'll see in the story, than just this utterance to the king at the beginning. God has more for Elijah to do, incredible things for Elijah to accomplish. But he has to do something inside of him first. He has to take him through this time of preparation. God is saying, I need you to do more than just this, and so I'm going to prepare you for it. And so I love the story of Elijah. I love watching how God prepares him. And you'll see this. You see this often in the Bible, by the way. And this is just free. This isn't in your notes today. But you see this so often in the Bible where God will raise up someone or God will begin to use a great man or woman of God. God will begin this thing and then he uses them. You see a glimpse of what's about to happen and then immediately they go into a time of preparation. There's no rumble right afterwards. They go into that time. You see it in Moses where he's out in the desert. You see it in the Apostle Paul where he has this incredible conversion on the road to Damascus. And then what happens? Three years in Arabia preparing for his ministry. You see it even in the life of Jesus He's baptized by John in the river, right? The heavens open, the father speaks, this is my son. The dove lands on his shoulder. And then what, 40 days fasting and being tempted in the wilderness. You see this this pattern. And so today is Elijah's turn. He's confronted the king. There's this impending feeling of big things are going to happen. And then he's gone. Then he's sent into hiding. And many of you, you'll identify with stages of this preparation of how God has been preparing you. You'll identify with Elijah that God takes him through maybe one of these seasons that we see in his life. Three seasons. The first one that I think we can identify, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. The first one I see is one of confusing isolation. It's confusing isolation where he is very alone. He's got no one to call out to. He's hiding on his own. In verses 2 and 3, we pick up the story. So he's made the utterance. And now verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now, everybody say Kareth Ravine with me, all right? Kareth Ravine. If I have to say it a hundred times today, you've got to say it five times fast, all right? Kareth Ravine. He says, hide in the Kareth Ravine. Now, this word Kareth, it means to cut off or to cut down. So he takes Elijah from this moment he has of speaking, this utterance, this great moment as the prophet of God, and then he says, I'm taking you to the valley. That means cut down or cut off, almost as if God is saying, I'm going to take you somewhere where there's no big lights, no big ego. There's nothing that you suddenly feel like I'm the man now. No, I'm going to take you. I'm going to hide you in the Kareth Ravine. Then I'm going to prepare you there. Out of the bright lights, out of all this kind of no pride involved in this. And so often God will use these times where he takes people through what I would call the Kareth Ravine. He takes him through this time of preparation, but he's saying, I'm going to teach you some things, Elijah, especially to be dependent on me because I have some things for you to do. I'm going to use you. I've got something deep for you to do later on, but I've got to do something deep inside of you right now. A lot of times people are in what I call the Kareth Ravine. They're in a season of preparation. And so often we associate it with a feeling of being discarded or cut off. So often we feel like God did something big in my life. God used me to do something. God showed me a glimpse of something. 
But now I feel like I've been cast to the side. God's moved on to someone else. When all a while God is doing something inside of us. I was doing things for God, but now I feel like he's just chosen another avenue to do it through. And I've been cast into the Kareth Ravine. When all along God is preparing us and doing things on the inside of us. God is right there on the inside of us. It's a little bit like the little bird that flew south for winter. And I like this story because it's funny, gross, and sad all at the same time. All right, everybody? So it's all three of a good story for that time. But the little bird is, bird is flying south for the winter. And he got a late start. And so the winter winds and snow are starting to pile up on his wings. And so he's flapping as hard as he can. You can put your mind into the mind of the little birdie. And he's trying to get south as fast as he can. But as he's going, his wings start to freeze little by little. Come on, that's the sad part of the story. Come on, somebody. And he starts to suddenly go down, down, down. And he lands with his wings totally frozen in the middle of the barnyard. And he begins to think, this is the end. This is all there is. This is the worst thing that has ever happened. I'm going to freeze to death. When all of a sudden, a cow steps over the little birdie. And dumps on him. Come on, somebody. That's the gross part of the story if you're taking notes today. If you just say, dumps right on top of our little birdie friend. And he begins to think, not only am I frozen, but now I'm going to die covered in manure. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. But just at that moment, the warmth of what surrounded him began to melt. The ice that covered our little birdie's wings. Come on, somebody say amen today. That is the Begin to melt. And he began to get feeling back. Like he could move and little birdie began to realize that it suddenly was melting the ice around him. He began to think, I'm going to make it. I'm going to live. And he began to sing in his happiness. Begin to chirp, 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 chirp. Begin to live and sing. When all of a sudden one of Satan's leading characters, a cat, comes into the barnyard and hears the little birdie singing. And suddenly he becomes very interested in this song. And comes and digs the little birdie out, eats and kills the bird. That's the sad part of the story, everybody. Three lessons we learned from our little birdie friend today, everybody. First one is not everybody who drops manure on you is your enemy. All right, everybody? <laughs> tell you, we get very spiritual, very spiritual here. The second thing is not everybody who digs you out is your friend. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and third thing is when you're buried in manure, keep your big mouth shut. All right, everybody? <laughs> Where were we? I don't remember where that even. Some of you right now, though, you're saying this is the worst. Some of you are saying, I'm going through the Kareth Ravine. Some of you are like, this is the worst thing ever. This is where it ends. Some of you have been walking through times of preparation where God is doing something inside of you, but you don't see it. And so you say, this is the end. This is the worst of everything that could possibly. I'm stuck waiting. Those things I used to depend on, the thing I used to be really good at, the thing that really defined who I was, that's been stripped away now. God is doing something inside of me, and God is using that isolation to prepare. And so Elijah has been sent into this time of isolation in the Kareth Ravine. He's, God is preparing him because he's saying, no, I have something I want to do, but I have to prepare you for it. And we'll see how he prepares him. But in the moment, Elijah has to just recognize this isolation, as confusing as it is, it's meant to do something inside of me. It's meant to do something inside of me. And honestly, you'll see later on in this that as confusing as that isolation is, it was actually a protective isolation because of who Elijah was dealing with. That God has sent him into that. And that's just for somebody today that God may be protecting you in that moment of isolation. That God has a plan for you, that he's going to use you. And so those of you who are in the Kareth Ravine, be encouraged that God, God is doing something inside of you. And those of you who have been through a Kareth Ravine, you know the truth of that, that God was preparing you for what he had on the other side, that God has incredible things to use you for, but he's got to prepare you for them. 
And so then the second thing we see God take Elijah through as he's shaping him, he's molding him into a man of God. He takes him through a season of what I'm going to call total dependence. He takes him through a season of total and complete dependence where Elijah cannot depend on anything but God alone. Verse 4, 5, and 6 says, God tells him, you'll drink from the brook. So God tells him, Elijah, I want you to go into the Kareth Ravine. And he says, you'll drink from the brook. And I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. Elijah went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So first lesson I want everybody to see here, all of you who don't eat bread and meat and you're all vegetarians all the way. I want to see what our most holy God did for Elijah. He brought him bread and meat, everybody. All right. He just, (laughs) come on. That's my own. That's my own little, my own little argument there. Because my wife has stopped asking me what I want to put on the grocery list. Because I have one answer, everybody. Meat. I want meat. On the ground, I want steaks, and I want chicken, and I want sausage and bacon. I don't care. That's what I want, because that's what our most holy, bless his name on heaven and on high, since bread and meat for Elijah. Anyway, that's a whole other deal. So here we see Elijah's all by himself, and God brings this brook. God does a miracle first in the drought, brings up this brook for him to drink from. And then we have God's heavenly catering service, all right? The ravens bring him bread and meat every day. And they go out and find the bread and meat every morning. They deliver them straight to the prophet. Why? Because they're teaching. God is teaching Elijah dependence. God is teaching Elijah in the middle of the drought, in the middle of all of these things, the crops drying up. Somehow these ravens are bringing him bread and meat. He has water from the brook. God is teaching him dependence. If you've been joining us on Wednesday night for our prayer times at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays, we've been going through the story of how Jesus fed the 5,000. And I love that story because of the way that the gospel is worded, because they give you a little insight into what Jesus is thinking at the moment. And they give you a little insight into what the disciples are doing in the middle of that thing. But one of the moments I love the most is right when they're surrounded by the 5,000, they're surrounded by the crowds of people. Jesus, before they've done anything to feed them, Jesus looks at Philip. He calls Philip out and he's like, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And the Bible is very clear. He didn't ask Philip because he wants Philip's great insight. He didn't ask Philip because he wants to know, Philip, you know, can you work this out in your genius of a brain? The Bible is very clear. It says he asked Philip in order to stretch Philip's faith because Jesus already knew what he would do. The Bible says that very clearly. Jesus already knew how he was going to feed the 5,000. Jesus already knew what the miracle was going to be. But he asked this in order to test Philip's faith if Philip is going to depend on Jesus or Philip's going to come up with his own thing. He's teaching dependence. He's teaching that dependence to his disciples. And in the same way, in the Kareth Ravine, God is teaching Elijah dependence. And I promise you, in your walk as a Christian, God will teach you dependence. It may not be like Elijah. It may not be like the disciples. At some point, God will teach you total and complete dependence on him. Something that you will walk through, something that you will go, God will begin to teach you that your only source is him. The only thing that you need is him. And so here is Elijah in the desert. A drought is going on. A brook bubbles up and he's able to drink from it. The crops are drying up, but the ravens find bread and meat to bring to him. It's God is distinctly saying, no matter what happens, no matter the circumstance, no matter, I am the source. I am your provider. I will provide. Many of you right now, you're in a season where something you used to trust in, you can no longer trust in. Something that you put your faith in, maybe even the blessing God gave you, put your faith in that, but it's no longer holding. And you have to come to a place where you realize your dependence is on him and him alone. That your dependence is on God. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we get our eyes off of the giver and we get it on the gifts and we lose sight that our dependence still rests on him. 
We put our dependence and we put our faith in a person or in a government or in an idea or in a law or in something. We put our faith in something outside of him and it's a mistake every time. Our dependence is on him. Complete and total dependence. And some of you are in that season where you're having to learn that what you used to believe and trust on is fading away. That God alone, the giver of all good things, is your source. A single mom learned that in her life. She would pray and pray and worship and seek God for provision for her and her children. She would cry out as loud as she could. And she would worship every day in prayer, praising God. Lord, I thank you that you are my provision. God, I thank you that you do give good gifts. God, I thank you that in all of this, you have been my source. Well, her neighbor, an atheist, would hate to hear her prayers through the paper-thin walls. Come on, somebody. If you've lived in a paper-thin wall apartment, you know what it's talking about. He hated to hear those prayers. And so every so often he would pound on the wall and he would shout, Lady, you fool, there is no God. I don't know why you keep praying. I don't know why you keep me up at night. There is no God. Quit that yammering over there. But she would just pray all the louder. Lord, I thank you that you are my provision. And one day there was more month than money. And so she began to run out of food for dinner that evening. So she began to pray again. And she'd always pray, oh, Lord, I pray right now that you are my provision, oh, Lord. I pray, God, that you have never left me or forsaken. God, I pray right now that you are the one who brings food for the hungry. You are my provision. And the atheist had had enough of that. And so he finally left his house, went to the grocery store, bought all the food he could, came back and dropped it right at that lady's door. And he knocked on the door and he went and hid. And he went in and just kind of peeked out the sea. And the lady opened the door like you. She said, oh God, you've answered again. Oh Lord, I praise you. Oh Lord, you brought food in the desert. You brought it. You are my provision. And just at that moment, he jumped out. And he said, you fool, there is no God. I bought all that food. I brought it here. Look, here's the receipt. And she grabbed that receipt and she praised even louder. Oh Lord, I thank you. You are my provision. And you made the devil pay the bills. Come on, somebody. God is your provision yesterday, today, and forever. He'll bring things when there's a drought. He'll cause a river when there is a crop drying up. He'll bring provision in the midst. That God is our provision in the middle of us. Some of us need to come back to a place of total dependence. That we are in that fear that God is on our side. That God provides. That God brings. That God is teaching Elijah. And right now you may be in a season where you're hurting and you're alone. And you're afraid. But God is providing. And I love this about this story because God doesn't give him two days worth of food. God doesn't give him a week's worth of food. God doesn't give him a three-month supply. What does God do? He gives him enough for that day. He gives him enough for that day. God is teaching dependence. That in the morning, the ravens bring it. In the evening, the ravens bring it. In the next morning, he's got to wait for the ravens to bring it. Teaching him dependence each morning as he rises, each night as he goes to sleep, that God is providing enough for that day. That God is his supply for that day. Some of you have to learn that. Some of you are learning it right now. That you're going through something. You're in the Kareth Ravine and you're being taught dependence. Whatever that looks like in your life, you're being taught dependence on God. And you're learning that he is enough for that day. Some of you, you're hurting and you're afraid. But God is saying, I'm your comfort for today. Some of you are in that thing where you're saying, I don't have enough. And God is saying, I'm your provision for today. Some of you are saying, I feel weak when I try to do things. God is saying, I'm your strength for today. God provides enough. God is enough for you. And so he's teaching us total dependence. And God is teaching Elijah. He's cutting him. He's preparing him. He's teaching him total dependence. That when he is unable to provide for himself, God is saying, I am your provision. I'm teaching you dependence on me. And the third thing God does, God takes him through a season of what I call unconditional obedience. So it's total dependence, now it's unconditional obedience. There's confusing isolation 
There's total dependence. And now there's got to be unconditional obedience. This is the preparation of Elijah. But now he has to learn that no matter what, he has to obey God. Because verse 7, 8, and 9, the story starts to kind of fall apart for Elijah. The stuff he thought was now the blessing of God in the midst of the drought, in the midst of this thing, is now suddenly coming to an end. We'll pick it up in verse 7. The Bible says, sometime later, what happened? Everybody together. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. So there's no rain in the land. The brook dries up. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so God's voice comes to him. Now let's put ourselves in the prophet's place. He's been by the ravine. God brought this river, this brook. God brought, brings the meat and the food every day. God is providing for him in the midst of the drought. And suddenly the thing God provided dries up. The blessing God sent into this situation as he's preparing Elijah in this Kareth ravine, this comfort that he's had that no one else has water, but God has provided. And now suddenly the thing that God struck the nation with has now struck this little ravine where Elijah is. That the brook dries up because there was a drought. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, Lord, did I do something wrong? If this is in my moment, I'm thinking, Lord, like I'm now being struck with the same punishment that did. Lord, what is, why is the brook drying up that you gave? Why are the blessings seizing that you put into my life? And God is doing something. He's preparing. You watch every step of the way. God is preparing Elijah. But I want you to notice it because sometimes God will cause the brook to dry up because he has somewhere else for Elijah to be. He has somewhere else for Elijah to go. He's teaching him not only just dependence, he's teaching him obedience. That sometimes God will cause the brook. Some of you may be going, dear Lord in heaven, my brook is drying up. Some of you are in that moment. You're like, I already walked through the isolation. I've walked through those things and I've learned dependence. But now my brook is drying up. The thing I used to depend on, the thing that God even gave me now is drying up. And I don't understand. The, The nest egg that I had is now drying up. I had a 401k. Now I have a 201k. Come on, somebody. It's drying up. I, I used to be able to depend on my job and I can't depend on that anymore. I used to be able to depend on my friends and they were great friends. And but now my relationship broke is drying up. They turned on me or I had that hurt or this happened. And you're walking through the midst of this ravine. And the brook you thought you depended on, the thing you thought maybe even God put in your life for a season is drying up. And it's because God has somewhere else for Elijah to be. He has somewhere else for Elijah in this preparation. He has something else for Elijah to do. And a lot of times people will say this. They'll say God guides by what he provides. And it's true. You'll hear a lot of preachers say, right, where God gives vision, the, you know, he gives provision. And so there's this it's a little play on words there. You can, you can write that down if you want to, everybody. But I believe that's true. It's true. But I also believe with all of my heart that God often guides by what he does not provide. He guides by what he gives, but he also guides by what he does not provide. God, the same God who gave the brook, the same God who gave the water can take it away again. If that's the preparation that he has for his person of God. That's the preparation he has for Elijah. He can take it back again. He can dry up the brook if it gives Elijah the courage to move on to the next place God has for him. That he guides. And I love to say, if I don't have it, then I don't need it to do what God has called me to do. If I don't have it, I don't need it because God provides. And we learn that total dependence on him. And part of that total dependence realizes when the brook dries up, God has something for us. That when those things begin to happen in our lives, God has something for us. That his plan is still good. That he still has things for us to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And so we have to recognize those moments. And then we have to learn complete obedience. Unrelenting obedience. Unconditional obedience. Without condition. 
A lot of us like to throw up conditions when God comes with something. But God, you know, I'm just this. We're like Moses, right, being called. Lord, I'm not this, and you didn't make me like that. And God is saying, I want all those conditions out the window. I know what I've called you to do. I know what I have for you to do. And he'll often guide, but what he doesn't provide. The brook dries up, so Elijah has enough courage, right? And we say courage. The brook dries up. Elijah's like, you know, the, the brook is drying up. I don't know, Lord, maybe the ravens will come back right before or while I'm gone. I don't understand. But God calls him to go to the land of Sidon. He calls him away almost 100 miles to this new place. And the story's very rich. We don't have time to read all of it this morning. I'm going to hit some of the high points. But I encourage you this week, before we get to part two, go back and read 1 Kings 17. Because you realize in this moment that Elijah has learned unconditional obedience and he sets out. He begins to go to Sidon and we'll watch this. God begins to move. And he travels almost 100 miles across the barren land and he comes to the city, Zarephath, that God has called him to. And he finds the widow that God has called him to. So kind of set up the story in your mind. God has told him, I've told this widow to prepare for you. She already knows you're coming. She's supposed to have water and food. She's going to prepare for you when you get there. And so Elijah, the man of God, obeys. He travels 100 miles, arrives in the city. Lord, the city's where you said it was. Lord, the widow is out here where you said she would be. She's gathering sticks. And so he approaches her. And so if you don't read humor in your Bible, I, don't, I can't help you, all right? Because it is there all throughout. And I just find this because Elijah is expecting, right? The Lord told me you were coming, and I'm so excited you're here, right? I have the food. is hot. We're ready for you. Like, come on in. God already told me last night. And so Elijah approaches the widow, and he says very humbly, he's like, can I have just a little bit of water? And as she's going to get the water, he's like, and can I have just a little morsel of food? And this woman looks at him and she's like, are you the only person in all Israel that doesn't know there's a drought going on? Like, are you the only, like, who, who are you to ask for food? Like, I, I have no food. In fact, I came out here to get some sticks. You can read this woman. I came to get some sticks and I'm going to go make one last meal for me and my son. He's back at the house. We're going to eat one last time and then we are going to die. And Elijah, I can't imagine, you know, he's expecting like sweet little old lady who's going to bake him some biscuits and going to like, like God has already told her to provide. Like I just expect it. She's like, this is, it's over. But you watch in Elijah's life because he's been through the Kareth ravine. God has taught him dependence. Elijah, he just shrugs it off. God's supposed to have told her to provide for him. He just shrugs. He looks at her and he says, you're not going to die. He says, you're not going to die. God's going to provide. He says, the little oil that you had, it's not going to run out. And the little flour that you have, it's not going to run out. So go and bake us some biscuits. Come on, somebody. He says, get up. He says, it's not going to. And she obeys the word of the prophet. Sometimes God will send you into someone else's life. God commanded her to provide for the prophet. We forget that sometimes. And when she, she's out there gathering sticks, she has no food. She's, she's probably thinking, oh, I can't do it. We're going to die. I'm not going to provide for no prophet. I'm just out here gathering. And Elijah steps into her life and says, no, God's going to provide. Your oil's not going to run out. The flour's not going to run out. And so she obeys the voice of the prophet. She goes back in there and starts to bake biscuits. Come on, somebody. They just praise God from whom all biscuits flow. They begin to eat and eat and eat. And the word of the Lord comes true. That never runs out. They begin to eat for days and weeks on that little bit of oil and that little bit of this. It was supposed to be a last meal for her and her son. Now is God is using to teach her dependence and obedience. But Elijah learned that as he walks through this preparation. And he speaks that word to her that it's not going to run out. They begin to eat and God provides one more time. But you read the story. It's about halfway through the chapter. Suddenly the daughter of this man dies. The daughter of the son of this mother dies. And she's freaking out as you would expect. And she runs to the prophet and she says, is this why you came to my house? Like I know the miracle with the bread. I know all those things. Is this why you came? Is it to punish me for turning against God? And Elijah 
doesn't quail before her. Elijah doesn't run away to the next place. Elijah doesn't try to shrink back from this moment. Elijah does something that, to our knowledge, has never happened before in the history of the world. Because of the faith that he's learned, because of the obedience that he has in his life, because of his trust and dependence on God, he pushes her aside. He walks in there. He takes the boy into the upper room. He lays the dead boy on the bed. He cries out to God. And he says, God, I think that you could raise this guy back to life. I think that you could do it. And the Bible's very clear. It says, God hears the prayer of Elijah. And he listens to Elijah. And he raises that boy back to life. First time you've ever seen someone raised from the dead. Elijah raises that boy back to life. And you say, well, why, why would that have happened in his life? Why, why could that happen? It's Elijah because of all that he's been through. The proclamation to the king, the, the drought that came because of the word of the Lord, the time in the Kareth Ravine where God provided for him, the hundred miles he traveled and the city was where it was supposed to be and the widow was where she was supposed to be. The faith that Elijah has in seeing God's word come to pass. And now he's come to the place where he is raising the dead. In the life of Elijah, that this preparation has led him to that moment. And God is saying, I had to do some things inside of you. I had to teach you some things in the time of preparation because I had some things for you to do in my plan, in my timing. So Elijah raises the boy from there. He presents it to the mom. He says, look, here is your son back. And she says this to him. She says these words to Elijah in verse 44. You say, well, how could Elijah have the faith? It's because some of you right now are in that season of preparation. Some of you, God is teaching things to. Some of you, God is beginning to teach you dependence. God is beginning to teach you obedience. God is beginning to do things inside of you in the Kareth Ravine because God is wanting to do things through you. God is wanting to use you for these seasons of preparation, isolation, maybe even pain where God is teaching you dependence. God is shaping you for what he has. God is using you. And we see this in the life of Elijah that he's been through these times of preparation and then I want you to see this change that happens in chapter 17 from the first, cha- first verse of the chapter to the last verse. Because in the first verse, we know Elijah as the prophet, right? We know Elijah as the man from Tishbe, as where he's from. But 23 verses later, we recognize and we see Elijah as whom he is from. Not where he is from, whom he is from. Watch this, what she says to him in verse 24 at the end of the story. Look how the story changes. The woman said to Elijah, now I know. That you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I know that you serve the one true God. Now I know that you are actually a man or a woman of God. Now I know, listen to me, church. God takes us through those seasons of preparation. God is beginning to prepare us for the use he has for us in the kingdom. But not that we would have the glory. Not that somehow our ego would be inflated. Not that somehow it would be all about us, but that people would begin to see the God that we serve reflected in us. That he's preparing us to use us, that they would see the God that we serve. There's a beautiful illustration of this in the book of Acts. In Acts 4.13, the disciples are preaching the gospel and they're sharing Jesus crucified and Jesus risen from the dead. And the religious leaders of the day, they can't understand how these disciples are speaking the way that they are. They, they can't understand how they are so ele- how these uneducated, uncultured men could possibly be speaking with boldness the way that they are. And so the, all the leaders get together and they compare notes to figure out what is it about these men that are turning the world upside down and preaching Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. And they compare their notes and it says in Acts 4.13, the only thing that they found, the only thing that they found in common, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. 
They recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Church, let that be said about us. Not that we were the strongest or the smartest. Not that we were the most eloquent or the loudest. Not that we were the most handsome or the most beautiful. Not that we did all these things. Not that we were anything, but that people would see us and recognize the Jesus that we serve. He's preparing us. He's preparing us for the kingdom. He's preparing us to do things for the kingdom of God. But he's doing that. He's doing all of that to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He's preparing us to make us into that, that people would look at us and see the God that we serve. They would look at us and see the Savior that held us every step of the way. They would look at us and see the witness we have. The testimony we share is that Jesus Christ saved us, that he redeemed us, and that he can do the same thing for them. Come on, we give God praise for that. That every step he's preparing us every step of the way. And he's holding us every step of the way that oftentimes we have to go through the Kareth Ravine. Oftentimes he has to prepare us. Oftentimes he has to take us through these seasons. And this is Elijah's story. This is how he learns these lessons. But I promise you in your life, God will teach you dependence. He'll teach you obedience. But it's so that he can bring you through. And on the other side, he has incredible things for you to do for the kingdom. Not that we would be great, but we would make him great. That we would show the world Jesus. And he's saying, I have to do some things inside of you because I've got some things I want to do through you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Some of you today, you are in the Kareth Ravine. Some of you right now, you are walking through that time and it may be isolation. It may be confusion. I just want to pray with you. Some of you, your brook has dried up and you're having to move on. God is telling you to make a move, to do a decision. And you're kind of hesitating and it's, it's hurting and it's beginning to feel like you don't know where God is. I just want to pray for you. Those of you who are learning obedience and dependence, you're learning that God is enough for today, that God will bring that provision, that God is our only source. I want to pray for you. Before we do that today, though, I want to pray for one group of people that are here today or watching online, and that is you're isolated, but you're isolated from God. And you can feel it in your own life, and you feel like God is a million miles away, and you feel like the weight of your sin is keeping you from him. Because that's what sin does. It separates us from a most holy God. That our weight of our sin, it separates us from him. And so you ask, well, what does God want me to do? Well, the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus is forgiven of their sins. That anyone who calls on the name of Jesus is redeemed. That anybody who calls on the name of Jesus, and you say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the son of God, the perfect lamb. Jesus is the one who died so that we can live. Jesus is the one who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And then the Bible says Jesus is the one that God raised three days later from the grave, having the victory over hell and death and sin and the grave that we could be redeemed, that we could be saved. And so the Bible says, I don't care who you are or what you've done. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. And so if that's you today, you say, I feel isolated from God, but I want to be saved. You say, I feel bogged down by my sins, but I want to be freed. I want to be redeemed. It would be my honor to pray with you today to help you call on the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about a savior who wants to rescue you. And so if that's you today, it would be my honor. No one else is looking around. But it'd be my honor to help you pray that prayer of redemption. It's a prayer of surrender. To you surrender your life to him? 
So if you want to pray that prayer today, it would be our honor to pray with you, church. We're going to pray this prayer with those who want to say it. I can give you the words, but you have to say it and you have to mean it with your own heart. It's your surrender to him. But I'm challenging you today. Call on the name of Jesus. If you feel isolated from God, if you feel far from him, but something inside of you is being drawn back towards God, something inside of you is saying, today is the day that I make it right. I'm challenging you to call on the name of Jesus because some of you are in the Kareth Ravine and it's pointing you to Jesus. Some of you are in the midst of the trials and addictions and chains of life and they're pointing you to Jesus who can set you free. Some of you are buried under the weight of your sin, but it's pointing you to Jesus who loves you. So I challenge you today, call on his name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, but say these words. Come on, church, let's pray with them. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all of my sin. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. If you made that decision today, best decision you will ever make in your life. And I promise you that all of heaven is rejoicing with you as you make that decision. All of heaven cries out in joy as you turn your life back to him. And there are some steps you can take now in your journey. This is the journey of your life. This is the most important thing you will do in your relationship with God. And as you take that step, we want to walk alongside of you every step of the way. If you prayed that prayer, we have someone from our staff who's ready to talk with you in the foyer at the next steps. We'd love to talk it over with you personally, to give you a Bible, to let you know what your next steps are in Christ. If you're watching online, you feel more comfortable, you can text the word SAVED to 66955. promise it's not a marketing ploy. It's just a video we shot just to help you in those steps. We want to walk alongside of you. We want to help you in what comes next in your Christian journey. Now, one more time, everybody bow your heads. I just want to pray over you today before we go. God, I pray for those who are in the ravine, God. Those who are looking, Lord, those who are feeling confused in their isolation. I pray, God, that you would be their comfort. Lord, I pray for those who are walking through pain, God. Those who are walking through a shaping or a time of preparation, God, that you would be their strength. For those who are learning dependence, God, that you would show yourself as their source. And God, I pray for those, Lord, who maybe their brook is drying up. Maybe the things they trusted in are not there anymore. I pray, God, you would turn their eyes off of the things and turn them on you. Lord, that you would show yourself strong, that we know who you are, God. That you are the God in the midst of the ravine. You are the God who sends us. You are the God who uses, God. You are the God who prepares. You are the God who has a plan for us. You're the God who speaks in the middle of our confusion. God, you are the God who speaks in the middle of our situation. You are the God who brings comfort in the midst. I pray right now, Lord, be our comfort in the midst of that. And Lord, for those who have to make a decision or those you may be speaking to that have to step out in faith, I pray, God, show yourself strong. Give us the courage, Lord. Give us the courage, God, to follow you in every situation. God, that even standing alone, we would know who our God is. That even when we feel like we're isolated, we would know who is with us, who is for us, who is preparing us. Let us step into all you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we'll give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today? 
church. Be blessed as you go. You're dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday night for prayer or next Sunday morning.